All right, do your thing. So, I am going to, uh, yeah, one way or another, turn this into more of a, we're hanging out in the living room, just as brothers and sisters in Christ, and you guys are just kind of joining us. Uh, if, um, if I haven't met you, yes, I'm David Pritchard, I'm the Family Ministries Pastor, and uh, I guess I get to be the first uh, first to do one of these for Lake City, right? I mean, we haven't done this before, and wow, yeah. very fun. Uh, certainly wasn't in the plan, but glad that uh, we could sort of flex and and uh, figure out a way to, to uh, kind of come together as a, as a church family. If you are just joining us, uh, welcome, we're really glad you're here. Uh, we're actually monitoring it online, so say hi. Uh, you can say hi to us here. If you have any deep theological questions, ask those. Pastor Jim is on the computer and he'll answer all of those questions. <laughs> no way. Uh, Maybe not. But, uh, and yeah, please ask those before uh, I get done so I'm not stuck with answering those. Uh, but anyhow, we are really glad that you're here. We're glad that we're able to do that. We, we hope you guys are all staying warm. I know that some have been dealing with no power and you're in our prayers because that's that's always hard, but we're really glad to be together as a church family. Glad to have a little audience here so I don't just find myself talking into uh, into you know the, the kitchen. Uh, empty yeah, into the <laughs> kitchen. So anyhow, so thanks for coming, all you guys. Um, so I'm gonna get my football analogy or my football story out of the way right off the bat. Uh, I was um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this story, but back in 1934 the NFL championship game was between the Chicago Bears and the uh, New York Giants. And the Bears had like this 18-game win streak, and they are favored by far to, to, to win that game. And, but it ended up uh, happening that there, was a, that there was an ice storm, and so the field was just completely covered in ice, and, and, uh, which meant that their cleats were absolutely useless. And uh, as it turned out, the, the Bears were ahead 13 to 3, and somebody on the Giants team had this bright idea that they would have better traction if they were in tennis shoes. And so one of their, they were playing in the polo grounds in New York, and so one of their, uh, kind of a friend of the team, who was always on the sideline, he runs over, his brother is like the equipment manager for a local high, uh, college, they empty out all of the basketball team's shoes, he comes back in and they end up getting like, I don't know, nine or 10 guys uh, tennis shoes and they end up scoring 27 points in the fourth quarter and they win because they're in tennis shoes. And so I, uh, the only reason I thought of that story was because I had to come up with a football story, but the other reason was, you know, this is sort of our flex to this cold weather. This is our putting on donning tennis shoes. We couldn't all be together at Lake City, so here we are gathering as a church family via uh, the internet. And so, how much fun is that? Um, I don't know how many of you had a chance to watch the, the uh, State of the Union address on Tuesday. Um, I, I know uh, many of you probably did. If you didn't, you've at least heard little clips of it. And, and um, I promise I'm not gonna turn this into a political sermon, but you know, there were several things that stood out as I was watching that, but a couple things that I wanted to highlight that, I, that really made me think about uh, this particular uh, sermon series that we're doing. Uh, President Trump 
said this. He said, he was describing America, and he said, after 24 months of rapid progress, our economy is the envy of the world. Our military is the most powerful on earth by far, and America is again winning each and every day. Members of Congress, the state of our union is strong. And then that was followed by this USA chant, USA chant. And then he said this. He said, together, we represent the most extraordinary nation in all of history. And I'm not here to confirm that or deny that. I mean, I certainly feel very blessed to be living in the United States. I feel very blessed to be raising my kids here in America. So <clears throat> I certainly don't uh, disagree with uh, what he said. But it made me think about this sermon series as we've been talking about the empire, the Babylonian empire and King Nebuchadnezzar. Because I think if, ES, if uh, CNN and Fox News had been back there uh, interviewing Nebuchadnezzar, he could have very well said these exact same words about the empire of Babylon. He could have very well said that, you know, we are, you know, we have the most powerful army on earth by far, uh, that the state of our empire is strong. And so as we talk, as we continue this sermon series on the book of Daniel, um, I want to just by way of review kind of set the stage, uh, you know, and, and when I do that, I want to, I want to remind you, I think it's important for all of us to remember that, you know, as we uh, do a sermon series like Daniel, it's, it's, uh, it's tempting for us because we're going to break the story down, we're going to break the book down into a lot of different pieces, and tonight I'm going to break down another piece, and we gather and we gain a lot of wisdom from some of those stories, but sometimes we forget that it's also part of a big story, right? And so I, do, I just want to remind us that there's a big story going on that Daniel is a part of, and we're going to just talk about a little piece of that story, and we're going to, I think we're going to be able to glean some really great uh, lessons from that that can really apply to us, but I never want us to forget that the fact that it's part of a big, a big story, a bigger story. Um, you know, the... Pastor Jim has already been talking about the last couple of weeks of Daniel and his three friends that you know are part of the the, the uh, nation of Israel that's have been uh, taken into captivity. And uh, in the chapter one, we already uh, saw that they had this great opportunity to take a stand. The, the, our sermon series title is uh, "Standing Strong," and we saw in chapter one that Daniel and his and his buddies already had a chance to take a stand in in the area of food. Um, but Pastor Jim also introduced this theme that's going to kind of run through uh, the entire book of Daniel, but certainly these, these first, this first part. And the, the theme he introduced last week is the sovereign protection of God in every situation for those who loyally stand for him. Let me say that again. The sovereign protection of God in every situation for those who loyally stand for him. So that's kind of the where we've been as we move into now chapter 2. And so I'm going to jump into chapter 2. I hope if you're watching at home that you'll pull out a Bible because we're going to just be in chapter 2. I'm going to be reading pretty big portions of, of the Bible. And so it would be great if you have that in front of you and you can kind of follow along and then just stay there in chapter 2. But I'm going to begin reading right in verse 1. It says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had, had dreams. His spirit was troubled. And his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king 
his dream. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. So this is the man. He has literally the mightiest army in the entire world. Uh, he owns anything he wants to own. He has, really, he's, he has nothing to fear except sleep. And, you know, I remember back when I was doing youth ministry and I would take Young Life kids to, to camp or we would, you know, I would be leading Young Life kids. A lot of them were athletes just because I coached, so I had a lot of athletes. And so many of them were cocky and proud. And, and you know, I knew these kids well and I knew their backgrounds. And I knew that some of them came from really tough homes. Some of them came with real, a lot of baggage. But boy, when you talk to them, you've got no taste of that. All you got was this, this front that they were, you know, loud and proud. And, uh, and I remember oftentimes when I would talk to them about life and about Christ, one of the things that I would say that, that always uh, hit the mark with them was I would say, when you lay your head down to bed tonight, what are you thinking? Because see... The reality is we all do that, right? We all have stuff that we're dealing with, but when we walk around, we don't show that. Like we, you know, everything's good, life's good. And you know, in fact, how many times in, in, you know, in a typical Sunday or Saturday night, do we see people at church and we say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good, how are you? I'm great, how are, you know, everything's great. But what happens when you lay your head down at night oftentimes tells a better story about what's really going on, right? And that's kind of what's happening here with, with Nebuchadnezzar's. You know, he is uh, laying his bed down, head down at night. And he's having these dreams. And so I want to talk about dreams for a second because I think sometimes uh, our Western sensibilities uh, make it hard for us to handle dreams. We don't know what to do with them. But clearly God, throughout Scripture, uh, communicates through dreams. I mean, we have, you know, him assuring Jacob of God's presence in Genesis 28. We have uh, him comforting Joseph that Mary's baby was from God in Matthew 1. Uh, even people that we wouldn't say are God's people, uh, you know, the wise men, when they came, uh, he protected them from going back to Herod in Matthew 2. Uh, sending Paul to Macedonia or telling Paul to stay in the Corinth in the book of Acts. I mean, over and over we see God using dreams to communicate, to talk to his people. And I, I know that Sometimes we can, we can tell ourselves, well, that's Bible times. Like, this is different now. It doesn't, it's not the same. And yet, it is, right? I mean, if you haven't read these books, I would encourage you to read them. Dreams and Vision by Tom Doyle. Dreams and Visions by Tom Doyle. The other one is Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi. If you read those, I mean, they're fascinating books. They're awesome books, and there's others. But, you know, we hear... Uh, over and over of hundreds, I mean literally thousands of Muslims that are coming to faith in Jesus through dreams. I mean, that's how God is speaking to them. And so I, I want us to understand that, you know, dreams uh, have been, this is not new for God to communicate through dreams. And, and, uh, and here he, he is using dreams to get to literally the most powerful man in the world. I mean, he is afraid of nothing. Right? He can buy anything. He's afraid of nothing except he's afraid of going to sleep. And so when 
when he's dealing with this, he goes to his magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, and why? And the, the answer is simply because he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to answer something that is outside of the box, right? He's trying to deal with something that is otherworldly. I mean, think about it. You know, if he had questions about, you know, the finances, he probably had the greatest accountants ever. You know, if he had questions about what to do with the military, I mean, he had great generals that he could go to, you know, these practical things. If he had parenting problems, he probably had some parenting experts there. Who knows? But this wasn't that, right? This is out of the box. It's, it's like otherworldly. And so he goes to somebody that he thinks or he hopes is out of the box. So he goes to these wise men, these magicians. <clears throat> and then in verse 4 we read, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servant the dreams, and we will show its interpretation. So, here are the Chaldeans, the, the wisest men in the room, the wisest men in the nation. Uh, they speak, it says specifically in, in Aramaic, which was kind of the everyday language uh, of the time. So here they are speaking in, in everyday language rather than maybe the privileged language. And I think that's significant. I think that it's sort of letting them know that this is for all of us, right? This, this message is for all of us. But they say, O king, uh, O king, live forever. Tell us the dream. And now King Nebuchadnezzar threatens them. Uh, and the reason is because he has something that is big. It's God-sized, right? It's, it's out of the box. And he wants this out-of-the-box answer. Uh, he's not interested in having them just sort of, you know, play games with them. So they, he says, uh, no, we're not doing that. And, and think about it for yourself. Uh, what do you do when you have uh, questions or things that you need answers for that are bigger, you know, that are out of the box? Like when we have, you know, when we have... Uh, you know, practical questions. I mean, we have places that we can go that make sense to us, right? But what happens when, in fact, we'll do something fun since we're online and we're live. And if you, I'd love for you to type, what is, what are some of the big questions that you're finding yourself asking now? Like, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be your deepest, darkest question, but what are some of the big questions that are looming in your life now? Just type that. It'd be kind of fun to see what some of those are. But what are the things that you are praying for? I mean, I, I almost did a little uh, horoscope thing just, to, just for fun to kind of, you know, do a, a little quick look at what kind of horoscopes we're saying. Because in a sense here, Nebuchadnezzar goes to mere mortals to try to get some God-sized answers. But here's the thing. He's hoping, you know, he's hoping that they have bigger answers. Like he's hoping they have the ability to answer outside of the box. But he's, I think secretly, he's sort of understanding that he, they probably don't. And, you know, I mean, think about that. You know, there's, these, these guys are supposed to be magicians and sorcerers, and they're supposed to have all these, you know, 
extra, bigger uh, answers. But there have been false prophets forever, right? In fact, uh, uh, in Deuteronomy 18, we read about kind of God's answer to false prophets. Here's what, here's what he says in Deuteronomy 18, verse 20, verse 20. It says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, well, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? And he answers, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is the word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of it. And so think about this, you know. <coughs> if you hit 33% in baseball, you are an all-star, right? If you complete 60% of your passes in football, you're an all-star. Free throws, if you hit 80% of your free throws, you're an all-star. But in the world of prophets, it's 100% or you die, right? I mean, there, are no, there is no room for error. There's no percentages here. And so he's saying to them that, you know, that, that's, that's, the, that's what the mark of, of a prophet is. And so I think, you know, when you, when you think of today, the, the huge questions that we face, not just individually, but as a culture, like some of those obvious ones we know where to go to. You know, if, if we have a question about money, that's why we do FPU, grateful that Madsen's leading, leading that charge. Because, you know, because those are answers that we have people that are smart that can help us answer those. You know, when, when we have uh, questions about uh, fitness or weight, there's people that know, you know, they have answers about some of those things. But, you know, there are bigger questions that we're struggling with uh, individually. I think we're, I know we're struggling with as a culture, as a nation. What do we do with those? Because the tension around them is, 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 you know, tremendous. I mean, think about questions like immigration, right? That is a huge question that we have smart people chiming in and they can't agree on what, the right thing to do is uh, questions like the rate, you know, the racial divide. I mean, there are smart people speaking into it, and we continue to come up with, you know, some dead ends on what to do and how to get there. Uh, but I was thinking about this the other day. In fact, I talked to one of my daughters just the other day about this. You know, there there are ethical questions about things that are coming up because of IVF, right? In in uh, in vitro fertilization and. Those are big questions that don't have, and you can't just bring a couple of smart people together and get the answer because there are, there's a tension in those things. And so what do you do when those things happen? That's kind of where, in a sense, Nebuchadnezzar is right here because what he's got to do here is he's got to answer this, get answers to a question that is just out of the normal realm that we operate in. And so he goes to these guys, and I think, you know, honestly, he's hoping that maybe they are more than just a bunch of smart guys. Maybe they do have some information or some, some access to information that's, you know, otherworldly. And, and I think that's why he's going, hoping that they can answer some, some things outside of the box. And so we keep reading in verse 8, it says, The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change, till I change my mind, right? Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. 
For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So, King Nebuchadnezzar comes back and says, I see what you're doing, right? You are stalling. You're stalling, hoping that I change my mind, hoping that something changes. And here's the reality. The king's scared, right? This king that has nothing to fear is scared because he's having these nightmares. He has no answers for it. He doesn't know what to do about it. And so he wants some real answers. And, you know, and the, the bottom line is he wants some real answers because he wants to go to sleep tonight. And the, the, the thing is, as I, as I read this, I was like, but what do you expect, right? He's asking otherworldly questions to a bunch of mere mortals. And I think we have to ask that question because there's times that we're asking questions that are clearly out of the box and we're asking people that are in the box to answer them for us. I mean, they even try to appeal to his ego, right? No greater powerful king, hoping that he'll say, well, I'm a great and powerful king, so I guess I better not do this either. But on the flip side, the Chaldeans do say some things that are true, right? They say no man on earth, because that's true. No man on earth can explain this. Uh, they say only the gods who don't dwell among us, among those in the flesh. Of course, they have no idea that someday, soon, there's going to be uh, God in the flesh. But the great thing is, because of this truth that they speak, they set Daniel up well. Right? I mean, it's like they tee the ball up and they say, all right, here you go, Daniel. And so we keep reading in verse 12. It says, because of this, the king was angry, was, was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Ariel, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Ariok made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So at this point now, the king is, you might say he's probably a little irrational. Uh, but the reality is he's scared because for the first time, there is something out of his control, right? I mean, literally everything in the world is in his control. I mean, he owns anything he wants to own. He, he has the mightiest army. I mean, he does not have, you know, unlike President Trump or our presidents, he doesn't have to deal with a divided Congress. He doesn't have to get things okayed with, you know, the Supreme Court. I mean, he, whatever he wants to do, he can do. And so for, he has total control. And for the first time, he has no control. And so he's scared. And... I am guessing that he, is, he has been wondering for a long time whether these guys are for real, right? I mean, he is, he's wondered, you know, when they're giving him advice, okay, like, I think these guys are just like me, but, you know, they're his guys, and so he continues to go to them. But in this case, he knows, I can't get that kind of, like, I can't, it can't be a horoscope that I'm reading. This has to be something real. And so he's like, look, you either tell me the dream and its interpretation or you die. And so he's mad at this point because he's realizing that what he's feared is true. These guys are just like him. Maybe a little bit smarter in the languages or they, you know, they know a little bit about the stars, but they're just like him. 
They have no answers out of the box. The only answers they have are in the box. And so he's mad, and I, it's time now. We're, you're, you're done. We're going to kill you all. And unfortunately, Daniel and his boys, they fall in that class of wise men, right? And so this death sentence includes them. And I think, you know, if there's one lesson I hope we can get out of this, it's this next piece. It says that Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. Daniel replied with grace. And I think in one way, I'm glad we're kind of doing this online because I'll look in the camera and say this. We need to stop it. Like, we need to stop acting the fool online when we're talking about some of the subjects that come up. And, and I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to all of us. You know, I love this because they're going to kill him. And he responds with grace. And sometimes, like, topics will come up online, and, man, and I, what I'm saying, I'm not talking about you, maybe, or maybe I am. And if I am, if I'm talking about you, then take it. And if I'm not, then just kind of let it go. But we've got to stop responding out of this emotion, and we've got to stop saying things that just are not godly and are not full of grace. I mean, here, this guy's about to get killed, and he responds with grace. We can certainly do that, Right? I don't care if you disagree, agree, you know, let's respond with grace when we are entering into these conversations. I, I might just try to talk you into staying out of those conversations, but if you insist on getting into them, I would just say respond with grace, okay? Um, I will say this too, Daniel did respond with confidence, but understand this, the confidence was not in himself. I mean, and here's what I mean by that. I fully believe, in fact, it, it proves itself true later, had, had the king said, no, I'm not going to give you an audience, I think Daniel would have continued to respond with grace. Like, I don't think he was responding with grace and had all of a sudden his life, you know, continued to be in danger, and then he would have, you know, flown off the handle and, you know, started cussing and doing some of the foolish things we do. You know, he was responding with grace because he knew no matter what happened, that God was still in charge, that God was still sovereign. He responded in confidence because he knew that ultimately this was God's deal, right? And so I think part of the reason we can respond with grace, part of the reason we can respond with confidence is because we know that in the end God wins, right? I mean, God's in charge of all of this. So those, those questions, maybe you type in a question that, you know, that, that's that bigger, that otherworldly question, know that whatever that question is, God's got this. Like he's big enough to handle all of this. Because he's God. And so we need to respond with, with grace when we find ourselves entering into these conversations. And then we read in, 20, in 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which of course we know as who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There you go. And he tells his companions, or he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven, concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed and the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So he goes home, goes back to his house, and apparently they live together because, you know, his, his three buddies are there, and he tells them to join him. And why does he want them to join him to pray? So they don't die, right? And I think sometimes in our prayers, we way over-spiritualize things. You know, I've talked to people like, you know, yeah, pray for me. You know, I'm, I'm sick, pray for me. But, you know, only because I want to continue to serve. Like, look, 
they are asking him to save them, or pray, they're praying that God would answer this prayer so that they don't die. Like, there's nothing wrong with praying, God, heal me, because I'd like to be healed. God, you know, I, I don't want to die. You know, I'd love for you to heal me. It's okay for us to pray like that, right? But we also pray with the confidence of knowing that ultimately God is in charge. It's okay to ask God for healing. And, of course, uh, Daniel's response to this dilemma he, he's in is prayer. And I think we obviously uh, learn that from Daniel throughout the book of Daniel, is that we need to be people of prayer. We need to recognize that when we have those questions, when we have those places that we don't know what else to do, we turn to prayer. <clears throat> and then, of course, God answers his prayer. It says in a night vision or a vision of the night. Now, whether that was a dream or not, I mean, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is God answers the prayer. And then we read uh, this last part. It says, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. And of course, you know, this is such a great reminder for all of us. Daniel responded with thankfulness. And I think it's easy for us when we ask God, uh, you know, when we have a prayer request, to, when he answers it, we kind of jump in and we get on with life. And it's just a reminder that we respond with thankfulness. I mean, our first response uh, as God answers the prayer, even if he answers it in a way that we weren't wanting him to answer, we respond with thankfulness. And the other thing in this part, uh, uh, this beginning part that I think is worth mentioning is, you know, contrast Daniel's uh, address here to the Chaldeans. Here, Daniel says, blessed be the name of the God forever and ever. And theirs was, O king, live forever. One of those two greetings is correct, right? <laughs> One of those two greetings is correct, and, it, and it's a great illustration for us, a reminder to us of who we are praying to. We are praying for to the name of the God who will live, who lives forever and ever. But here's the other piece that I think is really uh, key for us to take from here. It says he removes kings and sets up kings. I think we forget that too many times. Uh, you know, I, and I, I get it. Like, there are plenty of times where I find myself just scratching my head going, God, really? Like, why, why is that guy in charge? And I don't know the, I don't get why that's happened. I mean, it doesn't make sense at times, all right? But God is God and we're not. Amen. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the examples I use often is, you know, when, when, when Jesus is standing before Pilate, right, and Pilate is, you know, hammering him with questions and Jesus isn't defending himself. In John 19, verse 10, we read this. Pilate says, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus, Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So this is Jesus talking about Pilate, right? I mean, Pilate is not exactly a great guy. And here he's saying, you know, God, you're there because God allows you to be there. And so we have to trust that. And, you know, the reality is, you guys, the answer to our prayers, it's not going to come in the State of the Union. 
And I'll say this to the anti-Trumpers, uh, it's not going to come in the State of the Union in four years either, okay? Uh, I mean, I love Chuck Colson, his, his, one of his fa famous lines is, salvation's not coming on Air Force One, right? And, and I listen to the State of the Union, so don't get me wrong, I mean, we, I, we need to be involved in the political process, absolutely, but the answer's not coming there, right? God can put in, take out whoever he darn well pleases, and you know, for us, it's we trust that we are to work within whatever uh, system is in place. And then finally, uh, I love this, because the line in there, it says, you made known to me what we asked of you. Hear that. You made known to me what we asked of you. And think about that. How many times do we pray together for things? Or we ask, you know, we ask our friends, hey, pray for me on this. And then God makes known to us. But don't ever forget that there were others praying around, right? Sometimes it's like, oh, God, thanks, you answered my prayer. No, he answered our prayers, right? What a great reminder for us. And then finally, I'll just leave you with these, a few next steps. Number one, um, I will be open to hearing from God. I know that sounds kind of, you know, but James 4 says, you have not because you ask not. I think sometimes it maybe should be said, we have not because we listen not, right? I mean, I don't know how God will speak to you. Will he speak to you through a dream, through a brother or sister, through a sermon? You know, I don't know. But I know God will speak to you. In fact, I was just talking to a friend of mine who was talking about his daughter. And he was telling me the story of his, his this daughter, you know, just heard somebody talk about hearing from God. And, and you know, and, you know, she got frustrated. And she came home and she said, Dad, why is it that when, when people talk about hearing from God, they always say, and it doesn't have to be an audible voice. And then they tell the one story about when they heard an audible voice from God. She goes, she goes, I don't know if I'm actually hearing from God because I haven't heard his audible voice. And my friend was very wise. He said, honey, let me tell you, I, you, I can tell you why. I, I can prove to you that you are hearing from God because you're having this conversation with me. He said, the, the enemy doesn't, wouldn't, doesn't want you to have this conversation. The only reason you're having this conversation with me is because you heard from God. And I think that's so true for us. There are times that God is speaking to us, and we just don't recognize his voice. And, and so my encouragement is, I'll be open to hearing from God. Be willing to hear uh, God. No, I don't know how that is that it's going to come, but be open to hearing from God. Uh, number two, I'll take my God-sized request to God. Again, sounds kind of basic, but I think that, you know, oftentimes prayer becomes our last resort instead of our first resort. And, you know, I remember uh, when Kelly and I were a lot earlier in our parenting uh, journey, we were trying to decide, you know, on kids, how many kids. And, you know, it, it's interesting because now we have lots of kids. Uh, and so because of that, we have had that question asked of us many times. You know, how did you decide? how many kids to ask. And now we have a much better answer than we did back in the early days, because in the early days, we weren't sure we would ask people. And we, we kind of ran with, there were two sort of distinct crowds that we, we found uh, that we kind of were running with. One was a little bit older than us, and they had come through parenting, this is their words, they had come through parenting kind of in an age when they had their two kids, had their vasectomy, and then they were done. And now all of a sudden their kids were all grown and they were leaving the home and they were like, not sure why we did that, right? Because they're like, we now have money and we have opportunity and, but you know, our kids are all grown. And then we had this other group of homeschool friends that we ran with and they were living in the open womb. Like they just said, 
Whenever God sends us, we're going to have it. So as Kelly and I would talk, would talk about it, we're like, okay, we don't want to do that for us, but we're also not ready to necessarily just do that. And so we did this kind of, you know, revolutionary thing. We said, well, let's pray about it, right? Sounds kind of crazy. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things like, why didn't that occur to us first instead of last? And so when parents talk to us now, it's like, well, start by praying. And their answer, of course, is always, well, how's God going to answer that prayer? Like, yeah, let God worry about the answer part. You worry about the asking part and the listening part. But, you know, so for us, literally, after every child, we earnestly went to the Lord and said, God, is this it for us? Like, is this all you have for us? And, you know, and it was great because God was super faithful in that. And we, we felt a very clear sense uh, you know, after release that we were done. And we used to joke, well, at least from these bodies. And we found out that wasn't actually a joke because we, God blessed us with more kids, but just not uh, from our two bodies. Amen. <laughs> and then number three, I will ask others to join me in prayer. Uh, you know, and here's what I'm speaking to specifically, because I think that's another, you know, no, no kidding. We, we, we certainly understand the praying together. It's why... Uh, you know, Lake City, we believe in corporate prayer. It's why small groups pray. I mean, uh, you know, it's why re-engage. We do re-engage in community because we pray for each other. And in fact, I'll use that as an opportunity to plug the Valentine's dinner this Thursday. <laughs> Assuming uh, we're not snowed in, we'll make that decision on Wednesday. But if you're interested, we still have a few spots. It's almost full. Still have a few spots. We'd love for you to just contact the office. We'd love for you to go. But you know, when it comes to asking others to pray, here's what, here's what I want to specifically say. Um, pride, pride oftentimes keeps us from asking people to pray with us. Because we don't want people to know our stuff, we hold on to it and we say, well, I'll pray, right? And don't let pride keep you from asking. I'm not saying, therefore, you have to post it on Facebook, right? There's other ways to ask friends, brothers and sisters to pray for you, but don't let pride keep you from asking others to pray, uh, to join you in prayer. And then finally, I'll make a habit of blessing God. Uh, you know, we need to be quick to, to bless God. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Um, we ask God to bless us every day, but how often do we turn around and say, God, I want to bless you today. I want to bless you with the way I live my life. I want to bless you with the way that I uh, treat others. I want to bless you with the way that, uh, you know, I, I treat my wife, the way I parent. I want to bless you today, Lord. And I think it's a great message that we can take from, from Daniel here is that we would be quick to bless the Lord. All right, will you pray with me? Father God, thanks so much for Daniel and all that we can learn from him. Thank you, God, that he did have confidence in you. And because of that confidence... He was able to, to respond with grace. Uh, even, in the, even when facing down death, Lord, he responded with grace. And God, I just pray for uh, each one of us uh, that we would be able to respond in the same way, that we would be able to, to, to face uh, anything that might come our way and say, because I know, uh, I know who is ultimately in charge, I can respond with confidence and with grace. So, God, thank you. Uh, we love you. And, Lord, I do pray, God, for just uh, our church family and, and, and for others, Lord, that 
might be listening. I just pray, God, for the snow and for safety. I know some have to go to work and have to go and because they are part of helping others that uh, find themselves in trouble. So, Lord, I just pray your blessing on each one of them. And then, Lord, I just end tonight by saying bless you. Lord, we just want to bless you uh, because of who you are. We love you and we praise you. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.